This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Surgical treatment for both the benign and malignant diseases of the liver, pancreas, gallbladder, and bile ducts are among the most challenging and complex surgical procedures performed these days. Using minimally invasive procedures and multidisciplinary teamwork, they require a high degree of expertise and skill. We'll hear with more on all of this and what's new in this challenging field is Dr. A.J. Jane, Associate Professor of Surgery and Associate Chief of Hepatobiliary Surgery and Pancreatic Surgery at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Jane. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much for having me. So let's help us understand, um, our listeners understand, the kinds of problems you see. I mentioned several organ systems. I mentioned the liver, the pancreas, the gallbladder, the bile ducts. What are the kinds of problems you come across? So my background is as a surgical oncologist. I'm a surgeon that's uh, got specialty training in uh, various GI cancers. Uh, But my specialty area is diseases of the liver and pancreas. These include both cancerous and non-cancerous conditions of the liver and pancreas. So, for example, I manage gallbladder disease, whether it be gallstones or stones of the bile ducts that may be causing a blockage of the liver pancreatitis, a pancreatic cancer, liver cancer, bile duct cancer. So there's a variety of uh, diseases that we manage. And we also manage other GI cancers, such as gastric cancer or adrenal tumors as well. This is a very, very diverse area that you cover, it seems yes, ma'am. to me. So um, in general, how are these problems generally diagnosed? Are they, are they symptomatic? Do you generally come, like for example, with the liver, do you have abdominal pain? What are the kinds of things that you find with patients? Again, the spectrum of diseases that we treat in the liver and the pancreas are so diverse. Some of the diseases we uh, treat present with symptoms, such as gallstones. They can present with pain after eating. Some of them are picked up incidentally. For example, there can be cysts on the pancreas that may be benign or cancerous, and oftentimes these are picked up when people are getting screened for other health conditions. So Given the very broad variety of diseases we treat, we see all kinds of uh, clinical presentations. And often are they, but as far as actual diagnosis, do they require usually imaging, such as a CT or an MRI, to actually have a firm diagnosis, or sometimes you do biopsies? Uh, all of the range. above. It depends on what it is. For example, if someone has clinical symptoms of right upper quadrant pain, and a good story, it may just be as simple as doing an ultrasound to make a diagnosis of gallstones. On the other hand, if someone has a cyst of the liver or the pancreas, we may be doing a variety of procedures, including uh, ultrasounds by endoscopy, MRI, biopsies. So it really does depend on which specific problem we are trying to uh, make a diagnosis for and rule out and manage. So in general, when you treat these things, and you're treating them surgically, what are the kinds of procedures that you, you, let's say with the liver, for example, are you basically um, excising the problem, or in some cases, does the whole liver have to be removed? Uh, It can be. uh, Usually, we're not removing the whole liver. That would require a liver transplantation, but we do a variety of interventions for the liver. For example, if people have cysts of the liver that are causing pain, we can use minimally invasive procedures to open up the cysts and drain them. If someone has a cancer of the liver, we may remove part of the liver or a majority of the liver in order to actually cure someone of cancer. If someone has a blockage of the bile ducts, we may be removing part of the bile duct and sewing a loop of bowel to help the liver drain properly. So we perform a very a large variety of complex surgical interventions 
both of the liver and pancreas uh, to treat, again, cancerous and non-cancerous conditions. It seems to me I've heard of late that there have been a lot more incidents, I don't know if this is actual or it's just anecdotal, uh, of pancreatic cancer. And I know there's a procedure that has been in use for many years now called the Whipple procedure. Is that something that you're involved with as well? And in, in general, has it become more successful or less, um, is there less mortality or morbidity attached to it? Yes, we are a high-volume center for a Whipple procedure. Uh, we do a lot of these operations. The incidence of pancreatic cancer is increasing in this country. And as we become more effective at uh, treating other cancer types, which are also common, such as colon cancer, actually pancreas cancer is rising as a cause of mortality in the United States. And the Whipple's procedure is a complex operation. It involves removing part of the stomach, the head of the pancreas, the first portion of the bowel, part of the bile duct, and uh, doing a complex uh, reconstruction of these uh, organs. It's a procedure that should only be done at, at a center that does a lot of them, such as ours. And uh, we have a lot of experience, both myself and Dr. Uh, Couture, my partner. Uh, initially, we were at Johns Hopkins, which is one of the highest volume centers in the country uh, for pancreatic surgery. So at one time, I guess this procedure was known to be um, very risky, but today you're having more success with it. Is exactly. that true? Yes, it's true. You know, if you look back to the 70s and such, the mortality around the time of the surgery was as high as 20%, and now it's less than 2% wow. at uh, high volume centers. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. Uh, I'm Linda Cohen here with hepatobiliary and pancreatic surgeon, Dr. A.J. Jane, and we're talking about diseases of these organs and what can be done to treat them. So one of the diseases of the liver um, that leads to liver malfunction is known as fatty liver disease. Help us understand what that is. So as our population uh, ages, and uh, we have, a, in general, an aging population. And the people incidence, are living longer. People are living longer. And in general, the population is becoming more obese, especially in Western countries. We're seeing an increasing incidence of fatty liver disease. It's estimated that probably 20 to 30% of the population uh, has fatty liver. You store fat in your liver just like you store fat around your midsection or anywhere else. And in some people who have fatty liver, the fat can cause inflammation. It's estimated that 2 to 3% of people who have fatty liver may actually develop something called uh, steatohepatitis, which is a hepatitis or inflammation of the liver that's caused by fat. And that can lead to uh, other problems such as a cancer. So people can be at risk for liver cancer even if they don't have classic risk factors such as alcoholism or infectious hepatitis such as hepatitis B or hepatitis C. So help us understand, because hepatitis C has been in the news a lot lately with the boomers being the, the kind of cohort of people who are most, I guess, expected to have, to have it, for, I guess, through earlier drug use or all kinds of other reasons. What is the relationship between the hep C and the fatty liver disease? There's really not a relationship per se between hepatitis C and fatty liver disease. They're both two separate risk factors for liver cancer. So basically, if you have hep C, you could also be at risk for liver cancer, and if you have fatty liver disease. And you're saying the relationship between fatty liver disease, I mean, there is a, 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 de a direct relationship between that and obesity. Uh, there is. There is. Uh, so essentially, there are... Different, so all the things we're talking about, whether we're talking about fatty liver disease or hepatitis C, they're separate risk factors for a liver cancer. The major li risk factors 
for liver cancer are developing chronic inflammation and cirrhosis of the liver, and that can be caused by different things. One of them is um, excessive alcohol consumption. Another are certain viral illnesses can cause it, hepatitis B and hepatitis C. These are viral infections of the liver. Hepatitis B can be transmitted sexually or through blood, uh, typically by blood transfusions before the early 90s, before, before we they test, screened it, right. or uh, you know through intravenous drug use. Hepatitis C in this country is primarily spread through uh, intravenous drug use, uh, and before the 1990s uh, could have been spread through blood transfusion as well. And we are seeing an increasing incidence uh, in hepatitis C now, actually, with uh, in Appalachia, actually in the upstate New York region, because uh, opioids, uh, narcotic drugs, prescription drugs, are actually much more tightly regulated in people who might use those or abuse those drugs are actually increasingly in turning to heroin or other injectable Yes, we've actually drugs. done stories on that. So you're so. seeing more incidence of hep C as a result mm. of the use of those injectable drugs. Sure, and someone who may have experimented with drugs 20, 30 years ago, even one time, could be carrying hepatitis C and not even know about it. So it's important, that's just another sidebar here, that it's important for anyone in that age cohort, basically. Basically, anyone after the, the boomer generation uh, should probably... Be tested. Tested for hep if they C. haven't. Because a lot of these things are silent, aren't they? They can I mean, be. Mm -hmm. just, just as you were saying, is that true for fatty liver disease as fatty well? Fatty liver disease, absolutely. Just uh, in... Most people don't know they would have uh, fatty liver, and most people would not have symptoms from having fatty liver disease. So how would that be diagnosed? Is that through a blood test in terms of your liver enzymes? I mean, how would someone that's find one way that out? That, that's one way of picking it up. So if you go to your primary care doctor, and if you are generally, you know, have uh, are being screened for obesity or diabetes or other similar health complications, oftentimes blood tests may show elevation of liver enzymes, which could uh, lead to different screening tests. Ultrasounds can be suggestive of fatty liver. CAT scan could be suggestive of fatty liver. Um, biopsies can also show it as well. And then how is it treated, or is it treated? Fatty liver in and of itself is often managed the same way as uh, obesity in general. You know, lifestyle changes, eating a better diet, weight loss. But the crucial point here is in, in terms of where you would step in is if if that fatty liver disease led to some kind of a liver cancer. Correct. If you, if the fatty liver disease then caused, progressed from just being fatty liver to what they call steatohepatitis or inflammation of the liver from the fat, which then can actually cause uh, cirrhosis of the liver in some patients. And, and cirrhosis exactly means malfunctioning, it gets bound up Cirrhosis or something. is when the liver actually becomes dysfunctional. So the inflammation is so long-standing that it starts to form scar tissue the scar tissue can, for lack, you know, in the simple terms, can actually cause disruption of the liver and disruption of liver function and put you and up. Life-threatening. And can be life-threatening. Yes, ma'am. So basically, is it ever necessary under those circumstances to consider a liver transplant? It can be, yes. If cirrhosis uh, uh, progresses to the point where the liver can't do what it's supposed to do, then that's when a transplant would be indicated. I mentioned earlier that you're using, and you mentioned, minimally invasive techniques in some circumstances and also a multidisciplinary approach. What does that mean in this context? Who's, who are the members of your team? So for the types of cancers we treat, for pancreatic cancer, for liver cancer, for bile duct cancer, upstate, we now have a, a, comp a cancer center, and all of our patients are 
managed in a multidisciplinary conference, all the ones that we see. So before we do any type of an intervention, we have a panel of experts, including medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, gastroenterologists, interventional radiologists. These are radiologists who have uh, specialized training in doing biopsies, interventional procedures, and even treating some types of cancers, as well as ourselves, surgeons. And we all meet together. We discuss the cases. We put the films up. And this allows us to actually approach the problems in a very... Uh, disciplined and organized fashion because in it's very way, in a global sense. way yeah. because the same cancer in one person may be managed a completely different way in another person based on presentation and specific aspects of the case and really in this day and age cancer is treated typically by more than one specialist someone may get surgery and then they may get chemotherapy and they may then get radiation possibly and in the old days a, you know a surgeon may operate on a cancer and then refer to the medical oncologist who would then treat. But in some cases, it's better for the medical oncologist to treat first. And really, we should be having that dialogue before anybody does anything. Yeah, I think and that's a key point. That's so. really quite a key point. Very interesting. There's a new breakthrough, a potentially new breakthrough. Uh, a study came out in your field, and that has to do with some kind of a blood test or biomarkers for pancreatic cancer. Very quickly, help us to understand what, what is this and should we take this seriously? Yeah, I think we definitely should take it seriously and it's an exciting new study. It's still a preliminary study but very encouraging. One of the problems with pancreatic cancer is in the majority of people it presents at a late stage when oftentimes it's too advanced to offer surgery and almost inevitably mortal. This is a new screening test that they're developing uh, that looks at a blood biomarker. They were looking at something called an exosome, which is a type of protein that's secreted in the blood. They screen blood from 190 patients. Some of these who had advanced pancreatic cancer, a few of them who had early pancreatic cancer. And they also looked at a group of normal controls and they found that the levels of these proteins were elevated in the pancreatic cancer patients, not in the non-cancerous patients. And some of the early stage pancreatic cancers also showed elevations. Oh. So this is still a preliminary study, but it's good data. And the hope is that they can carry this forward and through further trials, develop this into a screening test. We're not there yet, but it's very it's encouraging. It's very, very encouraging. And yes, clearly, if it can be diagnosed early, the hope would be the treatment would be more successful yes, in the long term because it is a fatal disease, basically. Yes. Thank you so much for coming in. This has been extremely enlightening for me, and oh. I'm sure for our listeners. Sure, and to address your other question about the minimally invasive uh, techniques, we do offer a variety of minimally invasive techniques uh, for pancreas and liver disorders, including uh, laparoscopic surgery, and most recently we've been using the Da Vinci robot, which oh, wow. is a robot that actually allows us a little bit more freedom and uh, performing complex operations, and these include pancreatic resections, moving part of the, removing part of the pancreas, and removing those uh, pancreatic cysts that may be pre-malignant, and also removing parts of the liver and such as well. And so, that alone is a real breakthrough as well. It's, it's really it's, made uh, a big it's, difference. It's something that we've been very excited about because it can some of uh, these operations under normal circumstances can require big incisions, which can cause post-operative pain, put you at risk for wound infection. So, so this really mitigates all of that? Well, it can certainly uh, certainly alleviate a lot of uh, 
those uh, aspects of care. So Thank you so much. This is great information. Um, my guest has been Dr. A.J. Jane, Associate Professor of Surgery and the Associate Chief of Hepatobiliary and Pancreatic Surgery at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen, and this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. <laughs>